about them Irish. I can't take it anymore. I need a national championship. This is the Four Horsemen Podcast. We are back. Notre Dame fans across the country and the world are very sad today. After a very close and hard-fought game in Athens, Georgia, the Fighting Irish came up short, falling 23-17. to I'm joined with Steve. It's your favorite podcast, The Four Horsemen. And we're going to get into it. We're going to cover some Georgia. We're going to look at what's next. And uh, we're going we're gonna to preview Virginia because this is about fighting, continuing to fight. I don't want to say fight on because that's a Trojan thing. But the Fighting Irish, we must fight to continue. And I think that's where we should start. I'm sure all of us feel like absolute dog shit today. I know I couldn't sleep last night thinking about just a few what-if scenarios. But uh, let's get into it, Steve. I'll let you take the first crack. Very first order of business. That, my friend, is about two, possibly, yeah, it's about two fingers of uh, Woodford Reserve whiskey, which is very much so needed after, um, after the experience between the hedges. And uh, I don't want you to, to confuse that for me being decimated any, in any way, which normally I, I am... You know, the, the, the sky is falling type of fan. Uh, but I think it was, it was uh, very apparent from, from what I was tweeting out and just from, uh, from our private conversations, Dylan. Um, I have never been more reaffirmed that this is a perennial top 10, top 5 football team. Uh, and, and, yeah, sour grapes uh, after being that close but after all said and done very highly optimistic after this and you know it didn't shake out the way we wanted to but god damn was that a football game yeah absolutely i think probably most of our viewership this week is gonna be people tuning in to see the steve reaction see <laughs> uh see if he's actually dead um he's very much alive and we're gonna we're gonna march on um for those looking to to have some comfort after that loss, because, I mean, there's nothing worse than Notre Dame losing football, um, I'll offer you this. At least we're not Michigan. Could you imagine being that program right now, getting blown out to what is an always overrated Wisconsin team? Um, that's that's rough. They are the most overhyped program, Michigan. Uh, and it's, I feel bad for their fans, but fuck them. So that's one thing I think we can take some pride in, some solace in, is that we're not Michigan. 
and we hung with one of the best teams in college football on the road in a stupid, crazy environment that was even impressive to watch from home. Um, I thought there was a lot more Notre Dame fans at the game than the announcers wanted to make it seem like. Um, I saw some good pockets of green in there. It was, I mean, it was an epic game. No doubt about it. It was ugly football. We kind of called that one. And just heartbreaking. I remember personally the first time, I think we should call it the Irish hangover if that's not already taken. It's when Notre Dame loses and you feel awful. For the first time for me was 2011 against Michigan, actually. And I remember just being like, I don't know, 13, and just feeling awful for Sunday, which was the case today. I mean, it was just a brutal way to lose. Um, It follows the series of games like uh, Clemson a few years ago in the hurricane, Georgia 2017, and Florida State 2013 or 14. Um, It's it's one where we we get to the, the finish line, but we don't cross it. And I know it's very frustrating for Notre Dame fans, um, we'll get into some of the fan base reactions, I think, in uh, in a bit. But I think we should just basically take note of what happened in the game. So I'm going to throw a few box score statistics out there, and then we'll talk about specific moments or or anything else like that. So um, total yardage was very similar. That's something I think people need to understand. Is the game was extremely close. I think maybe 20 yards separated the two teams. Um, both teams were moving the ball fairly inefficiently, but. Similarly, both defenses played well. Um, the key difference here, and we're going to get into the quarterback in a bit, but um, Georgia threw for 77% on its passes for 7.2 yards per pass, which isn't really good. 72, or sorry, 7.2 yards is not really that great. Um, but note the high percentage rate. And Notre Dame um, threw 61.7% at an awful 5.9 yards per attempt. I mean, we were averaging, I think, something above, it was like 11.9 yards per attempt coming into this game. When you don't get the ball downfield, you're just less likely to produce points. That's kind of the way it goes. So that's something to look at. As far as run defense, you guys know my opinion on running, but I bring this up anyway just because we should really flatten those rumors of Notre Dame couldn't defend the the rush game and we couldn't run on them. We couldn't run on them, but we weren't trying to. Um, We ran for 3.3 yards per rush. Georgia ran for 4.6. You know, that's not what we expected. We were told that Notre Dame's got the 109th worst rush, rush defense and Georgia's one of the top 10. It's going to be, you know, seven, eight yards per carry. It wasn't, um, Georgia was better when they threw the ball. I mean, for parts of that fourth quarter, Notre Dame, Georgia was letting Notre Dame kind of hang in there because they were running the ball. They weren't going for the jugular um, because Jake Fromm was absolutely fantastic. Um, the big, the big key one here, which could have actually cost the game was penalty yardage. Uh, Notre Dame gets oh. dinged for 85 penalties, uh, for 80 penalty yards, and Georgia 45. That's not acceptable. You almost 12, doubled 12 total penalties. Just brutal. Just brutal. Um, turnover game. Notre Dame turned over the ball twice. Not really in books' fault. We'll get into that too. Oh, uh, and then one turnover for Georgia, um, which Notre Dame did well on special teams. And lastly, um, it's the three three and outs in the third quarter. That's that's where the game was lost. In that time, in that third quarter, Georgia had scored six points. And then to start the fourth, they scored a touchdown. So they get 13 points off our three and outs, basically. Not necessarily each time, but in that period, in that period of the game, that's when Georgia won. That's when Georgia took control. And that's it for the stats. So, Steve, I'm going to let you get your thoughts on the game. Let me know what you think, what, what went wrong, what went right. 
it wasn't an awful game, but boy, was it a kick to the nuts. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it wasn't the greatest feeling in the world seeing the, the clock tick down to zero, but immediately was a sense of pride where you know that years ago we're just rolling over, uh, unfortunately. And it's not that there was a lack of fight in previous Irish teams, um, but it, the talent gap was, wasn't there. Uh, the experience wasn't there. And the, uh, the depth was not there in years past. And I, I think that this pr- game proved that we now have all three. We have depth. We have experience and we definitely have the talent <clears throat> and the, the future is a lot more promising on that than, than a lot of people realize, uh, between the 2020, 21, 21 classes, um, you know, this past class, we, I mean, the re- recruiting, we could always get into in a different time, but I mean, Kyle Hamilton is, is kind of, um, you know, kind of proof of, of this next step that we're taking as a program. But yeah, I mean, we're, we're right there. We prove we went into the house of Goliath, and although we didn't take him out, unfortunately, I mean this was the proof that was needed that you know we're we are a top ten program. Um, I I honestly I literally outside of LSU, you uh, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Georgia, that's five teams. I guess in this case, we'll just go by default. Oklahoma, that's six teams. Who do you rank ahead of the Irish? I can't think of a single program after that game. I don't think Notre Dame came into the game at seven. I think they should stay directly at seven. Uh, What a performance. I mean, you know, there was some questionable play calling. The third quarter kind of sucked. You know, the the flea flicker was a fucking ridiculous. But at the end of the day... um, you know, again, it, it it's it's really a kick to the balls, exactly as you described a moment ago. But it's it's the most optimistic kick in the balls that's ever happened in history. <laughs> simultaneously, it's very strange. It's a very strange feeling, especially for me. Again, being uh, the the ultimate negative person, um, I I tweeted out relatively recently, I think maybe Friday, uh, that this was going to be Ian Book's magnum opus. Uh, this was going to be his masterpiece, and by all accounts, I mean when you look at what he was able to do and the le- against the level of competition he was at, uh, it, it's not out of the question to, to actually name it his year to, uh, I guess, career to date masterpiece. And hopefully he's got a better game in him in the future, especially hint, hint playoffs. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think if this was played on a neutral site or a home field, that this was a, a Notre Dame victory. True. I, I honestly, right. I honestly, truly believe it. But, but you know, you, you can't come back from all those penalties. The offensive line, uh, some wide receivers just not getting the cadence correctly, and and you know, twelve penalties. I think of those twelve, maybe nine of them false starts, which was absurd. A lot of thoughts, a lot of emotions running through my head. I mean, I know that I'm all over the dot, uh, all over the map. Rather, I'm sorry with my uh, my opening statement here, but. Uh, an, an optimistic wave has has come over me, and and I feel like this was a great uh, uh, in our journey. This is a pin that we can we can put into the map of of where we're getting to. Obviously, the the destination is a national title, and I think we can definitely say that this was 
absolutely a step in the right direction. Um, I know moral victories, quote unquote, suck balls, but I'll, I'll, I'll suck this moral victories balls every day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> well said. I know people are bitching about moral victories, and I don't think we should look at this as a moral victory so much as it is a really quality loss. Um, it doesn't really get much better than this. Maybe if we push them to overtime, got screwed a little bit. But uh, overall, there's something to take from this. There's value in this. And I know that it's hard to hear once you lose. But it's not just moral victory. It's not just a cliche. There is something that we got out of this that's a positive. One thing I'd like to, to bring up is just the state of the fan base during the game. It's divided. It's Pathetic. You have... You have some people who are awesome. Just we're gonna fight. We're gonna we're gonna give it to them. And you have some people at the slightest sign of something going wrong, just bailing. And it's this. I think it's this new generation. I think it might be my generation issue of these fucking assholes on Twitter with no facial profile picture. You know, it's people from cartoons or anime, something anonymous assholes who cheer for. I mean, like myself, like nine other sports teams, but just live in a bubble they just the sky's falling i don't think they're really real people <laughs> i'm pretty sure they're in their mother's basement i mean i i don't i don't like these people because before georgia had even taken the lead we're in the third quarter here it was 10 10 i saw people i'm not gonna call people's names out but i saw people saying it's over this is it the sky's falling I understand you, there's criticizing the team, which we absolutely have to. I mean, they'd only scored 10 points to a certain point uh, to the fourth quarter, really. Unacceptable. But saying the game's over just because Georgia went up three or is about to go up three, when Georgia was up 10, it's the game's not over. You know, somebody slapped these fucking, pardon and, my language here, but these pussies. You gotta, you gotta have hope for the game. You know, you're down 10 with at least 10 minutes left in the fourth. I'm, I'd like to interject and, and point out, <clears throat> excuse me, that, you know, I, I saw a lot of these tweets firing off uh, when there was the interception that kind of, uh, you know, it, it was in Chris Fink's hands, kind of slipped through and just kind of a freak play, you know, great athleticism by the Georgia guy to, to pounce on it, comes up with the interception. That's a, around midfield, then two, three lays play, uh, two or three plays later, excuse me, uh, you know, Georgia is basically looking like they're going to literally steamroll into the end zone. And I get it. At that point, you're panicking. I was panicking. Like, I, I, do you think I'm, I'm particularly happy about this? Like, this is literally almost life or death for me. Um, and at that point in time, our defense stood up and they said, nope, we are going to fucking fight tooth and nail and fight for every inch and give everything that we got and we fucking held them to a field goal there and i don't and, and that was when i went from what 10 10 to 13 10 i don't think people understand the importance of that of of standing up of of giving everything that you had and playing true to the fighting irish way and and coming away with uh you know a defensive win on that drive you got a short field and you only give up a field goal against I mean, let's face it, a, a absolutely elite offense. So, I mean, you can't just throw in the towel, man. And and I'm sorry to, to, to cut you off on your train of thought there, but please, by, by all means, keep going. I just wanted to interject that that was, that was the moment that I saw a lot of people where it was just like, oh, nope, that's it. The route's on. It's over. You know, everything's done. And you're not, it, it, it was what it was, but have, have some goddamn faith at this point. 
Yeah, I mean, I tweeted out on my personal account, if you're going to be a cuck, cheer for a cuck team like Michigan. Get out of here. I'm sorry, if you're going to cry when the game's 13-10, that it's over, football's not for you. It's not your sport. Go go watch something else. I don't care what, but keep your negativity away during the game. Um, be critical. We're absolutely critical. We'll get into some criticisms. I mean, I think there's something, there's something to be said about Kelly's performance. I saw some tweets that were just way off the boat on Kelly. Some people yeah, saying, yeah. like, Kelly run the damn ball. Well, one, Kelly doesn't call the plays anymore, so you might want to fact check that. And then two, like, we're down 10 and people are complaining, like, run the ball. No, no, you got to catch up. <laughs> you know, Georgia's stopping the run. They're begging you to throw. The issue is that you're not throwing the ball down the field. You're not going further than five yards. There were some really off-the-boat ones. But look, Kelly is usually a fantastic game manager. I've never really had an issue with his clock management. Both halves were atrocious. I mean, the decision to call a timeout near the end of the first after letting 20 seconds burn could have cost the Irish seven. Um, we ended up getting three. Um, good job on the kicking game to kind of not be awful. Um, and then <laughs> in, the, in the second half, the, the wasted two timeouts. Um, I think that's a little bit less on Kelly and a yeah. little bit more on just absolute crowd noise at that point. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, there was what one of them was a delay of game that they called. They stopped. And I don't know if they both were. But I mean, if you have at least two, maybe three timeouts with two minutes left at the ball to 50, I like our chances to win that game more. Um, but you know what? I'd, I, if your takeaway from this is Brian Kelly's the the reason we lost Brian Kelly's the problem. You need to fuck off. Ridiculous. Like, that's ridiculous. Like he's put us in these positions here. We are in these games. It is when you look back at the close games we've had with Clemson, with Georgia twice, with FSU, the odds we lose all of those games have to be slim. Like you have to be just statistically unlucky to have lost all those very close games. But we have. That's not to say that we can't improve. But you have to take in, into consideration that you're playing these really good teams. It's not supposed to be easy to win in these environments. And the fact that the Irish are always expected to get blown out and they don't, not in the regular season games, is a testament really to, I think, how good the program has come. Another issue is uh, people were tweeting, this is a lack of recruiting in skilled positions. And part of me does agree with that, although we had very skilled players on the field. But I do think that Notre Dame has bought into this wrong mindset in the kind of early 2010s in both college and the NFL that you got to build a big offensive line with a big power running game because that's the way the SEC team plays and that's how you have to play. And I think just statistically and in terms of the way the football, the game is moving, both the NFL and college ball, you need to invest in skilled players that help the passing game and stop the passing game. And that's very simple. Quarterback, receiver, and then corner back, secondary, you know, safeties. Yeah. Um, offensive lines too, pass protection is important. But that's, I, I do agree with that to an extent. We have to start focusing there, which, by the way, we have two five-star recruits. Um, one Jordan Johnson receiver, and Chris Tyree. And Chris Tyree, again, running back, but you can do a lot with that kind of running back. You can do more. Tyree is very much so a guy that can split out into the slot. 5'9", 180, he runs a 4'3". <laughs> so. yeah. In the college game, there's more room for, I think, individual running performances than you would in the NFL. Like The NFL is a lot of variance. In college, there is more to the running game, as much as I'm anti-run. But there is more room for an elite uh, game-changer. Um, to come in like Tyree and, and change the program. 
But I think Chip Long's offense is the way to go. I know people hated the flea flicker. I think that's more actually on Tony Jones for getting to block. Um, he obviously he runs the ball, he tosses it back to Book, and he kind of watches the play unfold when he should have kind of turned around to see if there was uh, a corner coming, which was a corner blitz. Um, maybe not the call to go with, but I, I'm liking the way the offense is kind of moving. I mean, on fourth and one, they or third and one on the end zone. And fourth and one, they threw the ball both times, um, probably because they addressed that, uh, or they at least assessed that our third down situation, uh, third and short, is awful when we run the ball. Um, but, you know, there's a lot to take away from the game. We need to recruit better in those positions, but I don't think recruiting is necessarily the issue. Some people, some people that aren't Notre Dame fans said we were really well coached, uh, and the talent might not be there. I don't know if I agree with that either. Um, I, I think we're elite. I think most Notre Dame fans come away thinking that we're elite. Um, and I'm going to let you get your last thoughts on the game before we just kind of move to the quarterback battle, because that's one of the key things that we really have to break down in this game. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we have come quite some way in, in terms of, uh, getting guys into the secondary, getting, uh, you know, wide receivers, you know, uh, specifically I'm thinking Lawrence keys and Braden Lindsay. I mean, those guys I think are going to be electric for us going forward. We still have Kevin Austin who's part of the program. He's just suspended for the full year this year. So now he's got a full off season. Uh, and, and he was a true freshman last year, played in a bunch of games. So now this is basically a red shirt. So they'll come back as a red shirt sophomore next year. Um, if I, if I may ask, I thought that was the, uh, the unofficial four-game suspension was Kevin Austin, like the Dexter Williams last year kind of thing. Or is he out for the full year? It's literally one or the other. It's li- oh, okay. <laughs> it's it's I I I've heard both. Okay. I, okay, I haven't heard anything else in between. I've heard four, and I've heard whole season. So it's it's literally one or the other. Um, Honestly, if it's the full season, whatever, it's not that big a deal. We have enough uh, senior and, and top-end talent at this point. Obviously, going forward, I'd love Kevin Nelson to be uh, an integral part of this offense. Jordan Johnson coming in next year. Chris Tyree coming in next year. You know, we, we're getting the skill position players. Um, you know, uh, Chris Fink is supposed to be our Hunter Renifro, basically, at this point. To let a if if a ball hits you, general rule of thumb: if you're a receiver and the ball hits you in the hands, it's a catch. And if it's not a catch, just like have that ball hit the turf. That that can't be an interception. There can't, absolutely can't. So there, there, there was just so many mitigating circumstances. I mean, you know, I, do you think the offensive line is going to have twelve false start penalties that when if if they're playing in a neutral site or at home? No, yeah. I mean it, that 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 fundamentally changes the game astronomically. So when it's second and two, and all of a sudden it becomes second and seven, or third and two, third and seven, et cetera. When when you're dropping back five yards at a time, when it's you know third and nine, and all of a sudden becomes third and fourteen, like what what's your fourteen yard play that's going to be an elite SEC secondary? <laughs> When you're not willing to throw the ball further than five yards down the field. Yeah, and, and a lot of those play calls were underneath. I was I was not too fond of a lot of the play calls. I mean, uh, you know, f- for what it was, this was still, uh, I, I think, I, I wouldn't call it an A-plus performance. An A-plus performance would have been a win, but this was an A performance, a very solid A. We were right there, and uh, I mean... <sighs> I don't know, man. It's it's just, it's it's exasperating to try to kind of uh, 
to put a lot of nuance into this game and a lot of people are going to be very overreactionary overrated one in 18 since against top 10 teams since 2000 like listen we get it i know but there, there is so much nuance to not only this game to not only this season but to literally quarter by quarter pl- uh, you know drive by drive play call by play call so much nuance into why this game ended up the way that it was and and i don't think people fundamentally understand just how absurdly close this was and and i think i i i forget the name of the guy i i think is for one reason or another i want to call him isaiah win it sounds like he was a i think a writer left tackle for georgia and he Last year. yep uh, or I think it might have been a, one of the players on this team. I don't. Think yeah, yeah. They have they have a really good left tackle, the top mm-hmm. ten prospect. Yeah, and and he flat out said he said, you know, talent wise, Notre Dame is a playoff team. They are a playoff team. This is a talented team. Notre Dame is back. Notre Dame is elite. Brian Kelly is a fantastic coach. Where there's some lapses and at certain points of the game, yes, absolutely. But, goddamn, that was a. That that was an exhilarating performance. There's obviously some some things that that were left to were left wishing for, but I I don't fundamentally understand how someone could come out of this looking at any anything negatively. I guess the running game. You could look at the running game negatively, but all things considered, I mean, holy shit! I I'm. It's it's crazy to say that I am happy with that performance. Yeah, no, well said. Um, it was there's a lot to take away positively. Um, it's just what could have been that's going to kind of haunt us. Um, yeah, no, just kind of echo what you said there. It's it's uh, it's a tough one to take, but it's a good performance overall, um, considering the team we played and the environment we played in. Uh, if my last parting shot on the game is. I don't know what happened in the third quarter. I don't remember. I, I don't think I had time necessarily to um, assess. Yeah, to see who was the fault. But I don't know if it was the play calling or if it was just Ian Book. But that third quarter offensively was a nightmare, and it, it cost us. It, it, really was, it was a lot of everything. It was penalties. It was offensive line play. It was lack of running game. When they tried it, I think at some point they uh, their, their first two drives – they had five passes and one run in six plays and went three and out in both of them. Um, some of them were, you know, some fault is on, you know, on Ian Book, although I, I honestly, again, uh, not an A-plus game, but but definitely a very solid A, A-minus game for Ian. And in, in my opinion, we can, we can touch on that a little bit more in detail. But the third quarter, I think, was just a, you know, a lack of preparedness or something. But... Yeah. yeah, and we had some shocking performances from some veteran guys. I mean, I don't want to call anyone out, but I mean, Liam Eikenberg, I'll start yeah. off with something positive. <laughs> positive. He's going to be arguably a first, if not a second round draft talent. He's really well. Former first, uh, well former coached. five star? I think five or four. I think Kramer um, was the five, and I think maybe he was the four. Uh, yeah, it's it's one of the two. But he he was very highly touted. He's very talented, and holy shit, what a uh, piss poor performance he had. Well, I will say I didn't. I, I mean, when you're watching the game, you're not looking at the offensive lineman too much. So I don't know how he did blocking wise. Um, probably excellent because he's an excellent player. But Jesus, how the hell do you get like three or four false starts on yourself when you're 
a veteran on this team. You're the left tackle of the Fighting Irish offensive line. And then, I mean, Chris Fink in his ninth year at Notre Dame, what are you doing? <laughs> like, he had, I mean, the one interception is completely on him. He had a drop pass key in the game, uh, right near first down marker. Hit his hands, dropped it. And even the beautiful catch he made is because he bobbled it. He caught it, bobbled it, got tackled, and then caught it on top of the Georgia defender. Yeah, He's not been good this year, and it's something you really expected coming from, you know, I don't know how many years he's been here, but it seems like a lot. He had a really he's good a graduate student, so I'm pretty sure this is his sixth year on campus. That would make sense to me. And, and look, he mossed Michigan last year. Like, we know he has the talent. We know he's got the hands. I just don't know what's going on this year. I wonder if maybe Book is missing Alizé Mack a little bit because they kind of clicked. Um, although we'll get into it, I think he's found his tight end replacement. Yeah. Um, but if we may move on to the quarterback battle, I know you were pretty high on Book. Um, I echo that a little bit. I'm probably a little lower. I think going into the fourth, right before Notre Dame scored that touchdown to get back into it, most people would probably say Ian Book was the reason – we were losing the game. But after uh, that... Uh, you... Up to that point, it was a B performance. A B at, at very best and being remarkably generous, it was a B plus. But I think him him getting back into it jumped up that grade, and I'll let you continue. Yeah, I think by the end of the game, people were more positive on book. Um, I've seen some mixed reactions out there. I'll, I'll just throw the stats from the game, and we'll talk about them, um, because I don't think he's at fault for some of them. But uh, he went 29 for 47, which is 61.7%, which is about kind of what he's throwing this season. It needs to be better, but against Georgia, that's an understandable number. Also, when you're playing from behind, you're just throwing the ball more. So I don't think the issue is there. He completed 29 passes. The issue is 5.9 yards per attempt. That's just, that's awful. That's pitiful. you got to be throwing the ball down the field. And maybe that's on the coaches for the play calls. Or maybe he just didn't want to, he was being baited into some coverages he didn't want to get into. But you got to stretch the field. Georgia was begging you to stretch the field on them. They were stacking the box for the run, and they were playing corners right up, giving you just beat us long. And I think we could have, especially when you have a monster um, receiver like Chase Claypool, you should have been going long that game. Um, he had two touchdowns and two interceptions, although I don't really think either interceptions on him. Um, the first interception, of course, is on Chris Fink. Just you got to catch it. The ball hits your hands. Fucking catch the ball, especially yeah. when you're a veteran. Um, and the second interception is that's the flea flicker play where the corner comes in on a blitz running back doesn't see him. He gets unblocked. Ian book does a really good job to get out of the way and to extend the play. I was hoping he would throw for receiver cause I thought maybe he'll just throw it away, but I feel like we maybe had a, had something going on and we did. There was a wide open receiver and I don't know the Georgia secondary player who just made an unbelievable play. That might have been play of the game where he's running. He's 10 yards that, away. From that range was absolutely that, – that's, that's NFL range. That's NFL He's going range. to be an NFL player, and I think he was a young player too. I don't think he was a senior, but I, I could be wrong there. But what a play. He runs in, dives, catches the ball. I didn't think he held possession throughout, but you know, at that point you just got to tip your hat to him. Um, and I, I don't really think that's on Ian Book. I think that's – a play call issue, a blocking issue, and just one hell of a defensive play. So I, I would say ease it on the on the interception blame. He had a rating of 116.4. Again, rating is not the best statistic for passers, but that's not awful. It's way below his average, but, I mean, you're playing Georgia. Um, and then you get to the QBR, which, of course, is the expected play. Like It's trying to assess how much 
you can contribute to the quarterback, how much he's helping you, helping you win. His raw score was 41.7, which is not good at all. But when you adjusted it for the opponent, which ESPN does, and it's called total QBR, he got to 68, which... Middle not, of the road? Middle of the road, yeah. Not not excellent, not too, too bad. I mean, you're playing Georgia, but just the heart he had at the end of the game to try to wheel us back into it. Um, I'm with you that I think Ian Book is going to get way more criticism than he deserves, but I'm also not of the opinion that Ian Book was fantastic, and I think had we had a better quarterback performance, we probably could have won the game, although you could say that with anything ranging from you know penalties to... Um, penalties. <laughs> um, and then just to give you the flip side, and this is why we brought up last week that we're more afraid of the Georgia passing attack, and Georgia was stupid not to go with it. Jake Fromm is something. Like, he is, I think, a Heisman contender. I don't think they use him enough for him to win the Heisman, but he is one efficient quarterback. I think he could carve up a little career in the NFL. I think any team that does not take him with a top five pick is so fundamentally stupid, it's astonishing. That's interesting. I know that people question his arm speed, but I like quarterbacks who win and who are good in college, and he is good in college, and he wins, and he's super intelligent. The guy's got big pair on him. I mean, his first game was that Notre Dame game in 2017. But from, mm-hmm. from this game, he th- completed 20 passes on 26 attempts for 77%, and I'm sure some of those were throwaways or drop passes. That's unbelievable. I mean, he was hitting everybody he was throwing it to, and that's why we were afraid of the passing game. And he, and he for, was he was getting into some very tight windows. Yeah, no, he was. I mean, some of those. I mean, the touchdown one was absurd. He almost had a few others that were broken up. Um, there was another catch near the boundary. Like he was just making some dimes out there, and his receivers are really good too. But he only threw for seven point two yards per attempt, which again, not really good. I think that's more of a sign of probably play calling conservatism like we were just very or both teams are very conservative with throwing and, the ball they didn't really want to in a the- way and i i saw pete samson tweet this and i think it, there's there's two two combined factors into this one i they, did you see them test the safeties much because any deep throws that they threw were one-on-one balls on the outside just one-on-one with corners yep. Yep. and and two uh obviously julian aquara khalid kareem neither of them had a sack they had a handful of pressures um, I, I think their, their game plan was, you know, quick passes, get the ball out very quickly, which obviously means you're not going to be pushing it downfield as much because they wanted to eliminate them because that's how good those guys are. Despite them not being statistically great this year, I don't think either of them has a recorded sack, but I don't think people fundamentally understand just how good our two defensive ends are. So I think that, that those are two contributing factors to, to how the play calling was by Kirby Smart. Yeah, I mean, that we our two edge rushes are great. They're both NFL prospects, but that's something that I wanted to mention as well is we didn't get a sack in the game, and that's that's not good. <laughs> you need to get to the quarterback, and I know we pressured them a bit, but, I mean, when you have a quarterback playing this well, um, it's just really hard not to hit him, hit him get him on the ground. Um, but, yeah, he finished with one touchdown, no interceptions. Again, they didn't use him too much. 150 passer rating. He had an 86.5 adjusted QBR because Notre Dame's good defense, uh, and it was 75.2 raw. Point being, uh, Fromm was better than Book. Fromm is going to be a good quarterback, and Georgia's going to go far with him at the helm. If I'm a Bulldogs fan, I'm really, really concerned with their approach offensively and underutilizing him. Um, The run game is good. Don't get me wrong. Swift is fantastic. But you saw against the Notre Dame game, 
your run game can be stopped. Run games can be stopped uh, unless your name is Michigan um, playing Wisconsin. But <laughs> for the most part, you can stop a running game if you commit to it. Um, and as we know, it's more efficient, more uh, easy to score points, easier to get the ball down the field when you're throwing it. And I think he's such a good quarterback that I would almost feel like Georgia could maybe lose some games that they shouldn't because of it. Um, but we'll get to, to Georgia's rest of the season later. I think we've done a pretty good job covering this game. We've, uh, we're about half an hour into it. Um, so let's move on. Uh, Four Horsemen, what do you got? Uh, yeah, I'll uh, rattle off quickly. Um, so I, I am putting my first Horseman uh, here as... Uh, First, first horseman here is Ian Book, two seventy-five, just about sixty-two percent. Um, which you got to say against that defense. All things considered, pretty good. Uh, I mean, I think if you compare it to the Cotton Bowl, uh, this was significantly better, and I think it's comparable. Yep. Um, obviously, two touchdown passes. So, and and one thing that was most impressive to me is is Ian decided he made the conscious decision. Um, to stay in the pocket, to not run around like a chicken with his head cut off, to stand strong, keep his eyes downfield, make throws. There was even a play where he was scrambling and then uh, ended up, you know, just as the guy bites on the run from from Book, he just flips it right over his head to Cole Komet, who ends up getting the first down. And I think that that speaks volumes to uh, to Ian and the progress he made even from the first two games of the season against New Mexico and, and Louisville uh, running around the pocket, you know, and, and you're dating back last year to the cotton bowl, him running around the pocket, you know, at, at any ounce of pressure, he felt, it felt like he really, he really stayed in there and decided I'm going to take one extra second, keep my eyes downfield, stay in this pocket as long as I can and see what's going to come to it. And, and I think, the net result was positive. And again, I give him uh, a solid A if, if you want to be very critical, probably an A minus on the day. I think some of you – know, he did, for lack of a better term, puss out on a few underneath patterns, uh, hoping <clears throat> that his guys could get downfield uh, you know, with the, with the run after the catch. I think it's, it's rare to happen against Georgia. But at the end of the day – I think a uh, not quite a, a quote unquote magnum opus from Ian Book, but I think strong enough of a performance that he kept us in it till the very end, and that's just kind of the fact of the matter, and and that's why he gets a horseman. So and I know that's the longest person I'll, I'll speak about because I think uh, there was some clarification needed about Ian Book. Um, we're going to be critical of him, but very very good performance, not great, very very good. Uh, second will be Chase Claypool. Um, six catches, 66 yards. He had the touchdown. Obviously, I think what's what's drawing me most to it is is just his uh, his ability to rise to the moment with that absolutely insane catch, which we'll we'll touch on uh, later in in the podcast here. Uh, my next horseman, Drew White, four tackles. One of them had uh, uh, an assisted tackle, and two of those tackles were for loss. His name was called several times throughout the night, making a lot of good plays, and especially uh, I think he was part of blowing up the backfield on second down to force third and long 
which ultimately ended up in a Georgia punt, which was a shanked punt, and then gave Notre Dame the ball back with about a minute and a half left at basically the 50. Uh, so you, you you step up to the occasion, you make the big play. Drew White really coming into his own, and and you know I know I've been high on him all year, and, and it felt vindicating to see him make such a, a huge play in such a huge spot. And then the last um, last horseman I have is uh, kind of an ode here to to P Wagon, Jay Bramblett, uh, <laughs> the punter. No, I, but but seriously, I mean, the, the horseman should be awarded to someone who goes out and just performs their job. And Jay Bramblett, a uh, true freshman freshman from Georgia, back in the state of Georgia, uh, you know, four punts, average of 47.5, which fact check me if I'm wrong here. I know you're more the statistician, but 47 and a half net is like li- literally like NFL caliber numbers. And not only NFL caliber, but like top end NFL caliber. And uh, you know, I don't. Maybe he put some extra spin on it, so one way or another. But obviously, so officially, he has no punts down inside the ten. Uh, but he did a great job of getting the ball downfield. And and this we knew more than any game on the schedule is going to be a game of field position. And he really helped us win. Uh, at least I don't want to say win that battle, but compete in that battle. And one of those was uh, obviously the, the, the Chase Claypool um, muffed punt fumble recovery. That led to a touchdown. So Jay Bramblett, my fourth guy. So that's uh, that's what I have. How about yourself? Yeah, no, the punter played amazing for a freshman. I'm really impressed. I mean, the one time he flipped the field at the Georgia um, receiver didn't really kind of get to, and it, it bounced a lot. Um, I thought he was from Alabama. But I think you could be right with Georgia. I'm not too sure. I know P-Wagon will slaughter us if we don't get it right. It is Alabama. I apologize. Okay. Well, I mean, he still played fantastic. I mean, I think that's a, a, he's a from, decent show. He's from SEC territory, returning back to SEC territory, and and he rose to the moment, And whereas the, the, the Georgia punter did not. Yeah. No, exactly. And, and I think... Um, replacing Tyler Newsom will be tough. So the fact that we got him for another four years um, is a plus for sure. Um, so for me, number one, um, I had to go with Cole Komet. Um, I considered the, some of the few false starts to knock him off, but I don't really think that was his fault too much. I think the crowd got in it. Um, he's not really used to playing. <laughs> he's been out for the first few games. But man, early, in, especially in the first half, what an unbelievable performance. Nine receptions, 108 yards. He averaged 12 per reception. And he scored a touchdown, which wasn't meant for him, but fuck it, he scored. Um, he was a safe outlet for Book, which um, was really crucial in that game. It's it's a shame that they lost that in the third quarter because I think if you continue finding your outlet, finding your tight end, uh, moving the chains, I think that game goes differently. But he was fantastic. I got to give him that. Second, I mean, it's going to get embarrassing how many times I say his name this year, but it's just Chase Claypool. Like, this guy's an NFL player. Like, clutch. What about that catch? We'll get into that. But you called out his stats. I mean, the fumble recovery, the touchdown, the uh, just six receptions, too, especially key moments of the game. I tweeted that he's so hilariously underutilized in this offense. Like, he's just unbelievable. Like, the Georgia receivers bullied on that one touchdown. Um, our corner, I think it was Troy Pride. That's what you should be doing with Chase. Like, you need to be giving him the ball, let him be physical. He's 6'5". And once he catches it, he bullies people. Like, I've never seen a receiver 
I think, on our team, catch the ball and was like, I'm going to push all of you SEC defenders out of the way. The last time I remember that was, of course, Miles Boykin in the LSU bowl game. Um, but he runs with an authority. And like it, it, yeah, Not even, it just to, to add, uh, add on and compound with that, not even Michael Floyd, who was a s- unbelievable, you know, he, he was a great receiver. He wouldn't even have the willingness to take on guys like Chase. I mean, Chase literally is like a, a linebacker going after cornerbacks. It's it's insane. So he's, I agree with you a hundred percent. Yeah, it's almost a shame we didn't see him break out last year too, because that could have been just something to see him and Boykin. Uh, but he was still very good last year too. Anyway, moving on. Uh, three, I went with uh, maybe I might pronounce this wrong, but uh, Mosa Karamora. Um, yes. linebacker, unbelievable performance. Looking at his box score numbers too, eight tackles, seven solo, two and a half tackles for loss. I was really impressed with him, um, visibly. And then of course, when I checked the stats as well, I thought he had a good game. I thought our linebackers had a really good game. They're coming into their own and that's the one unit we thought was weak. Mm-hmm. Um, we got the edge rushers. We've got the secondary. I, I still maintain that is a top five secondary, maybe top, maybe the best secondary in college football. And then if you get these linebackers performing too, this defense is going to be extremely elite again. Um, I know people wanted to to shoot on the defense a little bit, but um, I think our defense is good, and I think linebacker development will only strengthen us as the season goes on because Notre Dame has a lot of room to grow. And lastly, um, like yourself, I went with Drew White. I thought he was good as well. You listed his stats. Um, he had a few moments in the game, kind of like last week, where he was his name was being called every play on a certain series. Um, he was vicious. He's a really good downhill linebacker. I don't know if boundary to boundary is his game, but when the run game comes in or if they bring him on a blitz, I really like what he can do. And I thought I should give an honorable mention to Tariq Bracey. Um, Absolutely, his, yes. His coming out party. Um, I didn't even know he was a football player last year. Um, two pass deflections, key ones in the end zone. Um, I think there may have been questions about PI, but fuck that. No, not at all. Not at all. He, he was that he was, was that was just hand checking. That was a contested ball. So you, no, I, I think no contest in terms of PI and and yeah, um, con- continue. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, Troy Pride is supposed to be um, uh, an NFL prospect in this draft if he declares. Um, for anyone who's interested in NFL draft, I recommend following Dane Brugler. Um, he had a great article in the Athletic comparing Notre Dame, Georgia, and all the draft prospects in it. And Troy Pride is listed, but. I thought Troy Pride wasn't our best corner. I thought really Bracey um, kind of took over that game. And I think the more our corners get better in terms of depth, it's going to be so much harder to pass on us. You're going to have to pass very quickly uh, because if if you throw it into coverage, it's going to be batted down or, or stopped. So shout out to Tariq. Um, I thought he was great. He's going to be, I think, a key player moving forward next year and this season after. Um, but yeah, that's our four horsemen. I think there was some good and bad performances, but there's some definitely some positives to take away. So if we can move into our next section, um, this is new, our new segment we're bringing to our show. Um, <laughs> last week, Steve came up with perhaps the greatest tagline on accident in podcasting history, juice in my nuts. And I love it. I think you guys love it. We're going to start using it <laughs> all the time online, social media. So we're going to introduce a segment called Juice in My Nuts, which is which play um, in the game put juice in your nuts? What gave you that that little extra go? Um, and I figure this could be something to get, um, to get some fan involvement, um, to kind of highlight specific plays or something we're looking forward to or whatever. So I'll let you take away our very first segment of Juice in My Nuts. 
honored, <laughs> truly honored. Um, yeah, uh, we we already pre-spoke about this, and surprisingly, we had completely different ones where we were uh, in, in not in agreement on. Um, but yeah, the the two moments that juiced me up the most that really put some some juice in my balls after, uh, <laughs> as as I saw him, um, Cole Komet. Uh, well, first, I, it was an Ian Book throw uh, and, and Ian Book standing strong in a pocket with some pressure. Uh, but, you know, he hit Cole Komet on the seam pass, uh, which was late in that fourth quarter. I believe it was on the potential game-winning drive. Um, and, you know, that was – it was an absolute dime. Uh, Komet got right through coverage on the on the seam route, and you know just to to get deep into enemy territory with less than what fifty seconds left at that point, that that really juiced me up. I got very excited for that because I I literally was telling myself like, oh my god, like it it's happening, and I and I literally was telling my I swear to God, word for word, I I literally put my hands together over my heart and I said, please God. Just once, just once, just please give this to me. And obviously he didn't, but that's because he's saving it. I got, I, I just, I have to, have, I have to have the hope that he's saving that moment for some point down the line, or else, or else I am killing myself. <laughs> but, um, and then literally, I think it was like the very next play, or you know, very shortly after that, uh, the the next play there was uh, that that put some juice in my nuts was Chase Claypool's absolutely insane circus catch where he somehow gets his foot down before his ass com- uh, lands out of bounds. The, the body contortion, the concentration, the the clutchness—if that's a word—it's not, but where it is for all intents and purposes. Um, I mean, great throw by Ian again, you know, staying true in a pressured pocket and holy shit, what an NFL caliber catch. That was just astonishing by Chase Claypool. And, and that was it. I mean, we were, we had them on the ropes and, and obviously we know how it ended, but, but those were the two moments that put the no- most juice in, in me. I was literally running around my house, uh, you know, like arms up, you know, it, it, it was it was a disaster scene in in the Steve Campy household, but uh, but because of pure excitement from from those basically back to back plays. Yeah, well said. I mean, I think that got everybody pretty fired up. For me, the juice of my nuts moment was the start of the game. I believe it was Georgia's second drive, which was stopped. They were about to punt the ball, and you could hear very clearly. Um, let's go Irish chance. It was awesome. I, I couldn't believe it. We're in Georgia territory. We're in Athens in a very much pro Georgia stadium. And Notre Dame looked better for the first quarter. In fact, the first half, Notre Dame was the better team. And Georgia got pretty much nothing offensively. They were booting the ball back to us. And you hear, let's go Irish. And that just, that was the moment I knew we could beat these guys. Absolutely. We can. We're playing better than them. Their fans are quiet, and our fans are into it. And that just that really put the juice in my nuts. And the second one um, is the Chase Claypool uh, recovery. The punt, the beautiful punt from our Alabama punter that was bobbled uh, inside the 10 and then recovered by Chase Claypool. I mean, he's a special teams monster. Um, I hear that's why NFL teams are kind of looking at him as well. He can add that other dimension to your football team. He's just an all-around hero. Um, I don't know if he's a captain on this team, but he really should be. Um, just an unbelievable moment. That's kind of where 
it felt like things were paying off. Like once we get that fumble, it's like we were the better team and now we're going to have a chance to put up seven. And that was huge. It felt like we can kind of punch them in the mouth first, which is what we did. Um, and I, and I loved it. I mean, it was just, it was awesome. It was great to see, you know, my fellow Canadian just doing monster things out there. So yeah, that's, that's us. If you guys have any juice in my nuts moments, let us know. Uh, we'll retweet them. We'll, we'll make sure everybody knows. Um, but if I may, um, I think we should move on to where do we go from here? Uh, I know this podcast is running a little longer than usual, um, but I'd like to address the season is over narrative um ridiculous it's stupid um i will tell you guys in 2017 notre dame lost to georgia early in the season at home by the time the playoff it was considered a good loss quote unquote yep by the time the committee in late october or early november released the rankings notre dame was third notre dame was undefeated had one loss they were they won the rest of their games they were given that spot based on the quality loss because other teams didn't play good teams yet. And basically what they said is, we're not going to penalize you for losing to Georgia, who was fantastic that year. It's the same thing this year. People think that, well, they only put us in this year because we were 12-0 and they, you know, they were looking for excuses to put us out. That's nonsense. You know, I have a friend who's not even a Notre Dame fan. He's a Gators fan. And he says there's no way an 11-1 and Notre Dame team doesn't make the playoff based on the money it brings in alone. I can't speak to that. But all I know is if you go 11-1 and one with this schedule and that loss, nobody has a better loss than you. Simple as that. So something I'd like to tell people what we're cheering for for the rest of the year because the playoffs are very much in the balance. The, and and just to quickly get in there, the only yep. better loss is going to be uh, either Georgia or Bama or LSU because at some point they're going to you know, basically self-maul themselves. But I'm sure this is all stuff that you're going to be getting into as we speak. Absolutely. And I would actually argue losing in Georgia is better than losing in a neutral site game um, because you got that tough environment. And I would say the loss this year was better than the loss last time in terms absolutely. of quality loss. Oh, absolutely. So if the committee has a precedent on itself. I know they change members, but there is a precedent. Sorry for my legal field here, my legal perspective. But when you say that a quality loss is going to get you into the playoff, I'm you're bound by that, in, at least in my eyes. And I think they've shown that before, not just with Notre Dame. But with other teams, which is one of the reasons why Ohio State was not in the playoff last year, um, is the quality loss. And I think that's going to help us out. So what we have to cheer for is very straightforward. We have to win out, obviously. We have to win every game. But it really helps us if we have some quality wins on that schedule. We have to improve the resume. And we had a little spat with um, Father Sorensen Twitter account last night. Because we said, Notre Dame fans, realizing they have to cheer for USC and Michigan, like, and then it's, of course, the family guy thing of Peter Griffin snapping his neck, because we don't want to cheer for them, because they're scum. But we have to. And, of course, um, the response was, we can never cheer for them. But if the difference is making the playoff and not making the playoff, we have to. And think of it this way. If Michigan wins the Big Ten and USC wins the Pac-12, both of which are possible, Notre Dame has already locked out the Big Ten and the Pac-12, right off the bat, on head-to-head alone. Um, Plus, they both have two losses. But you have two conference championship data points, which no other team has. People say Nerdums and play in a conference game. You don't have that championship. 
we have two championships. We beat the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Now, of course, there's no guarantee either of those teams go there, but we have to cheer for it. We have to cheer for those teams to be ranked. We have to cheer for Southern Cal. I know that makes everybody want to throw up. And even worse, in my opinion, we have to cheer for Michigan. And Michigan can do a lot of damage for Notre Dame by eliminating the, the Big Ten, and we'll get to that in a second. But also Virginia, where the team we're playing this week, we're going to have to root for them um, because they could win the Coastal in the ACC and play Clemson in the in the championship game and will obviously get blown out. But having played the ACC runner-up, potential Big Ten, uh, potential Pac-12, Notre Dame has potential really quality wins on there to boost them. So you need to win out. You need to cheer for your opponents, all of them, but those three in specific. And then we're down to a scenario. So if I can throw this out to you guys, because I do the Rainmaker stuff with uh, college football playoff scenarios, you have Clemson and ideally Georgia, because we also need Georgia to win out, win the rest of the way. And beat Bama. Please, and God, beat just Bama. fucking beat Bama. Absolutely. The, Clem- the more Georgia wins, the better we look. It was like that in 2017. It's like that now. So we're all Bulldogs fans for the rest of the year. So Clemson, and by the way, if Clemson loses a game, I don't know how the committee can justify putting them in on that strength of schedule. So Clemson, I think, has to go undefeated, and they will. So the, I have Clemson, and I have Georgia in, in the ideal scenario that Georgia runs the table. This leaves two spots open. If we pretend one of them belongs to Notre Dame, or it could, there's one open scenario for the SEC runner or second-place team in the SEC, the Big Ten or the Pac-12, or the Big 12 winner. The Pac-12 is already done. So basically, there are two spots between, again, I'll repeat, the SEC runner-up, the Big Ten champion, the Big 12 champion, and Notre Dame. That is 50% chance of getting the last spot. So every Notre Dame fan needs to cheer for is, out of those three other uh, potential candidates I mentioned, two of them have to eliminate themselves. So it's simple as this. Someone has to beat Oklahoma and Texas twice. Oklahoma plays Texas and Kansas State that are ranked. Oklahoma doesn't have a great strength of schedule this year, so if anyone doesn't happen, I would like it to be that one. <clears throat> Just to uh, quickly but, interject, yeah. Oklahoma doesn't have a strength of schedule any year. That's true. The Big, the bi- the big, the big 12 fucking stinks, bro. It does. But they play Texas, and then the top two in the conference play each other in the co- title game. So ideally, something like Texas beats Oklahoma, and then Texas drops a game somewhere, and then Oklahoma loses to Texas in the title game, and they have two losses. That's one scenario. We need two, two out of the three to happen. The other scenario is Ohio State is upset. Um, we need Ohio State out of there. One loss, Ohio State probably gets in, so let's get for two losses. Um, they play Michigan State, Wisconsin, Penn State, and Michigan. That's tough. Ohio State's got a really tough schedule. If they, Even if they only get one loss, but the one loss is to, let's say, and 11 and Heard one it. Penn State, you know, then Penn State head to head gets into the title game. O- Ohio State needs to win the Big Ten. So either prevent Ohio State from winning the Big Ten or Ohio State gets two losses. And on the flip side, Wisconsin's going to have to lose one game. Um, they play Michigan State, Ohio State, Iowa, and Nebraska, which are potential losses. I think Wisconsin is really overrated, so I'm not too worried uh, about yeah, Wisconsin I, at this I'm point. I'm not worried about Wisconsin in the slightest. But basically, we would like the Big Ten to cannibalize itself, and this is where Michigan could really help out Notre Dame, um, is by taking that loss to Notre Dame and then actually winning the Big Ten, going through, clearing out everybody, beating Ohio State, preventing Ohio State from that game, and then winning the Big Ten, would basically put Notre Dame in over the Big Ten. And the last scenario is LSU-Bama. The winner of that needs to lose another game. You would like to have LSU and Bama both with one loss going into the conference game, and Georgia beats them. Because then you, the SEC runner-up has two losses. So again, two out of these three scenarios. 
Um, Big 12 winner has two losses. The Big 10 winner has either two losses or Ohio State is not in the Big 10 championship game because of a head-to-head. And then LSU-Bama, the SEC runner-up, has to have two losses. All of that is extremely possible. We've become very close to having a two-loss team in the playoff before. Please don't get your hopes down. Um, Notre Dame, in that scenario even, could get in anyway. Um, it's just without the conference title game, this is our guaranteed way in on an 11-1 and schedule. So I've been talking for a bit there. Steve, I'll let you get your quick thoughts in on uh, on the playoff scenario. Yeah, and I think if I, I think that there's probably anywhere from and I, I gave you this exact number before, there's probably about a 40 to 60% chance that the majority of that, if not all of that, uh, is going to happen. There's probably about a 40 to 60% chance that Notre Dame gets into the playoffs, assuming that we win out. And it's still a very important step. We do have to beat, you know, thank God it's at home, but we still have to beat a fucking ranked Virginia team. But we'll, we'll get, you know, we'll cross the bridge when we get there. But we're concentrating on playoffs here. Absolutely, we are still in this. So anyone who thinks that we're not, you know, honestly, turn in your jersey. You're off the, you're off the team. You're, you're out of the fan base. Get the fuck out of here. We have no use for you. And it, it, it's just the. I think what's what's actually exciting, and might put a little juice in my nuts, <laughs> is uh, in in that particular scenario, we are potentially looking at a rematch as the number four seed going in uh, up against the number one seed Clemson, and or Georgia. We yeah. could rematch Georgia. Yeah, and and guess what? I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid anymore. We're the Fighting Irish. We're here. We fought. We battled. We got to this point. We recruited. We we practiced. We. You know, we have the offensive line, we have the defensive line, we have the secondary, we have the skilled players, we have a quarterback. Do all those things work congruently along with play coaching and calling and discipline all at the same time to have the perfect performance to lead to a win against one of these teams? I think that it's possible. Is it going to happen? Who knows? Uh, again, you know, to, to kill, go back to my investments background, past performance is not indicative of, of future performance, but, you know, we we are all very well aware of how the past has has, has treated us against these teams, against these programs, against uh, this, this caliber of, of opponent. But if if you are not excited at the prospect of going eleven and one, getting into the playoffs, not sneaking into the playoffs, because sneaking would imply that we are not uh, supposed to be there, and there is not a fucking doubt in my mind that Notre Dame is a playoff caliber team, whether or not that there's uh, you know more qualified teams on paper that get in ahead of us. If that happens, sure, whatever, we'll still be in a new year six bowl game. Uh, and, and we're, you know, we'll, we'll be in an important bowl game. We'll, it'll still be prestigious enough to finish 11 and one and play in a big bowl. That's worst case scenario here. Assuming that again, assuming that we went out knock on wood. Um, I am so thrilled at the opportunity for redemption, so thrilled at the opportunity to be on the big stage and prove that we belong there in a neutral site game. Like if if you're not excited for that, if that's not something you can get up for, then get out of the get out of the fandom because this is it. This is this is what Notre Dame is about is is these games, these scenarios, seasons like this. You know, there have been Notre Dame national champions for correct me if I'm wrong that have had uh, a, a loss along the way. So if, if you're thrown in the towel now, fuck off. And, and I mean, it, 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 is, it is so infuriating to me 
And, and again, I am I am about as negative as negative gets in, in terms of, of how this all plays out. But if, if you can't get on this train, if you can't be excited for, for the prospect of an 11-win Notre Dame team playing in a playoff and playing an elite program and having an, an opportunity for redemption, whether it's Alabama 2012, whether it's Clemson last year, or whether it's Georgia this year, we know we're playing one of those fucking teams, and I want to, and I want to goddamn beat them, and I think we have a chance to. Yeah, no, excellent point. And it was even harder back then to win a title with only with a loss because there was only, you know, one bowl game you can get into that would ideally put you into first in the in the voting. Um, so, for example, 77, Notre Dame won with Joe Montana uh, with a one loss that year. So it's definitely possible. Um, maybe even two losses. I think it was just one. But I think to your point, absolutely, there's so much to play for. This season is nowhere near over, and you can never predict the future. Right, we didn't think we would be put into the playoff committee in 2017 in that top four, and we were until we lost to Miami. And had we beaten Miami, that Irish team was in the playoffs. And of course, we'd had to beat Stanford too, which we didn't. But that's that's not what we're talking about now. Um, so just to recap before we head into Virginia, I'm sorry this is going to be a longer one, but this we need to be uh, thorough with Georgia and to prepare um, for the rest of the season. So simple recap checklist: Notre Dame needs to win out. Two, cheer for Georgia. If you're interested, the tough games they have left are against Florida, who's really not that good. They're kind of just rated highly right now because they're undefeated. Paper Tiger. Paper Tiger. Texas A&M, who just got blown out by, or not blown out, but they lost to Auburn. Texas A&M, again, whatever. And then Auburn. Auburn will be the tough game, but Georgia has a very winnable schedule where they can go into the title game 12-0. and 0. So Notre you, Dame wins out. You know out. what would be very intriguing is to see Auburn take out... Um... Yeah, the, win the Iron Bowl against Alabama, Absolutely. but have but have Alabama beat LSU and then Bama lose in the SEC championship game. I and and honestly, that is a remarkably realistic scenario. Yep, yeah, the Bama LSU Auburn thing, they could all beat themselves, and that would be perfect. But yes, Notre Dame went out, cheer for Georgia went out, and they can. And then again, you need two of the three between the SEC runner-up, the Big Ten, and the Big Twelve to fall off. Basically, cheer against everybody. Cheer against everybody that's ranked. That's what we're doing. It can be done. It will be done because those teams do lose, right? This does happen. Notre Dame can get in. The important thing is we need to win out, which brings us to our next and final segment, UVA, where we have a game this week. We cannot dwell. Um, Virginia is a ranked team. We would like them to stay ranked after we beat them. They're 4-0. They've beaten Pitt, Will & Mary, FSU at home, and they struggled with Old Dominion 28-17, but they are 4-0. They went 8-5 last year, 4-4 in the ACC, and winning the Coastal would help us. So we obviously have to beat Virginia. We remember the last time we played Virginia in one of the greatest gifts of all time, (laughs) Deshaun Kaiser winning that game on a 40-yard touchdown and the Virginia fans being absolutely depleted. But I'll just run through the tail of the tape here statistically. Um... In terms of efficiency, which to explain to people, because I don't know if we've ever done that um, effectively enough, it's basically point contributions per play by the unit. That's what efficiency is. So how many points per play are basically you contributing to the game? Um, And it's adjusted for opponent, and it's adjusted to counting garbage time. So it's a fairly good metric. Um, Offensively, Notre Dame is 32nd in the country. Virginia is 52nd. Defensively, Notre Dame is 8th, and Virginia is 21st. And overall, Notre Dame is ninth, and Virginia is 31st. If you look at S&P+, that's, of course, one of our more advanced metrics as well, which 
according to them, is tempo and opposition adjusted to measure the efficiency of a team. Notre Dame is 12th, uh, 14th offensively, 35th defensively, which is contradictory to ESPN, but throwing that out there. Um, and Virginia's 37th total. Again, Notre Dame 12th, Virginia 37th. 80th offensively and 18th defensively. So basically what we're going to see here is a poor Virginia offense, but a stingent, decent Virginia defense. Um, so that'll be very interesting. And if I can preview the quarterbacks before I let you get in, Bryce Perkins is the Virginia quarterback. I would like to obviously do more preview of the players of the other team. So if I can break him down very quickly, he has a 64.6 total QBR, which again is adjusted, and a 66 raw. So that's 49th and 54th in the country versus Ian Book, who's a 70.5 adjusted QBR, which is 36th in the country because we've played good teams, and a 64 raw. So they're similar. Um, adjusted book is better. The raw scores are very similar. This is a quarterback who can do things but probably shouldn't against this Notre Dame defense. We should have an advantage there. And Steve, I will let you take it away. The only thing I know about Virginia is they have one cornerback who's like a first-team All-American. Uh, and I'm very intrigued to see. Let's assume that he plays lockdown defense and just takes Chase Claypool out of this game. I don't think that's going to happen because I think Chase is too good to just be obsolete over the course of four quarters. But let's just say for all intents and purposes, Chase Claypool has three catches for 49 yards, no touchdowns, all right? Wh- where are you getting the other... 215 yards that you're going to need to win this game. <clears throat> Javon McKinley mysteriously just like didn't play against Georgia. Chris Fink um, coughed up and, you know, uh, j- just did not play very good whatsoever in, in you know, his biggest moment to shine. Um, you know, Larry Keyes, I love him. I, I think he's he's going to be great for the future in Notre Dame. Uh, he's obviously in, incredibly young. Um, Cole Komet feels good being back. Tommy Tremble still makes contributions. People forget we have Brock Wright as well. So we have we have all the tight ends we need. Um, would be very nice if we could start running the ball with with remote efficiency. And I, and I know that that that's going to be a statement that makes you want to punch a hole in the wall, but. Um, you know, having a little less pressure on Ian because we can move the ball on the ground would be nice. Obviously, I, I want to be a, a primary pass offense, but it, it'd also be nice to put up 150 yards of rushing as well instead of like 20, for example. So it, there's there's some intriguing uh, matchups that are coming along the way. I'd, again, I'd like to see Javon McKinley get some more playing time. Chris Fink has to step it up. I'm very intrigued to see how Ian is going to play against a, a premier corner at this point. And the, the defense is, is pretty darn good, but I, I don't think that they're remotely close to any of the competition that, that Ian can't handle. So, Do the Cavaliers scare you? No, nah, I mean, it's, it's scary to the point to, that it's a, it's a good ranked team coming in, but... At the end of the day, if you play even a remote amount of the way that you did against Georgia, there's absolutely no reason whatsoever that this can't be, at the very least, a 14-point win. Yeah, and I think we opened up as 11-point favorites um, to cover the spread. Um, 
I suppose that should lead us into our predictions. So I'll give you what I think first. Um, I think this is going to be a revenge game. Um, that's a very kind of, I don't know if it's proven, but there's a thing in sports when somebody lose close or something poor happens that uh, there tends to be revenge taken out in the next game. And uh, I, I think this is going to be it. Notre Dame is at home. That's important. I think the crowd's going to be into it. I think the crowd's going to lift up the team. And UVA is overranked due to their win-loss record. They're 4-0, so they're getting ranked in the top 25. I'd love for them to keep winning. But we see with both the efficiency stat, with 31st overall, and with the S&P rank at 37th overall, they're, I think, a little bit of a paper tiger as well, um, where they're kind of just benefiting from wins against decent teams, to be fair. Mm -hmm. Um, But nothing to be really worried about. I don't think this is a, a really scary game particularly. So I'm going to go with a 38-13 Notre Dame thrashing. I think we hold them well defensively. I think our run defense gets better. I think our pass defense stays elite. I think we have a lot more success running the ball, and I think we'll have a lot more opportunities to run the ball as well because we won't be chasing the game at all. Um, And I think Book will be a lot better too. Um, I know you thought Book had a pretty decent game, but I think this game is going to be a monster game. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be um, just really well played, a good bounce back game. And I think blowing out teams and blowing out good teams is really going to help. So I think the Irish will cover. I think the Irish will win big. Um, what do you think? 38, 13 is honestly, I think about as, as good as a prediction as you could possibly throw out there. Um, because I, I still think that there's still uh, some substance to the team that we're playing where I think it's at, at the half. We're probably looking at like 20 to 10, Yep. Where you know it's going to look like a game, but I think this will will pull uh, will will pull away late. Um, Ian, if if his confidence isn't very high after last game, and again he didn't play uh, a lights out unbelievable, but he played well enough where it's to the point where if he doesn't have the confidence and a swagger rolling the rest of the season, knowing that you know I I went through hell already, there's nothing else that can bring me down at this point. You know, there's no reason that Ian can't throw for 350 and four touchdowns. I'd love to see him do it, and I think that he can. Perfect. So, uh, yeah, I mean, th- 38 and uh, 13 sounds honestly remarkably on point for for what we can expect. Now, anything can happen. We'll obviously always always pre qualify that, but. Um, no, I'm not particularly afraid of them. They're probably an eight and four program this year. Let's hope that they get nine and three finish in the top twenty-five. Yep, top twenty-five finish and win the coastal will absolutely help Notre Dame. Um, do you have any final thoughts before we go? If you're not willing to be a part of the Fighting Irish, then get out of the Fighting Irish. That's it. If you think that it's over, get out of here. If you don't think we can compete with a top ten program, get out of here. I'm not afraid of Bama. I'm not afraid of Clemson. I'm not afraid of Georgia. Meet them on a neutral site game in a bowl game. We're, we're fucking competing. And you know what? We might go into one of those games and lose by 10. We might go into one of those games and lose by 20. We might go into one of those games and win by 10 or win by 20. Or we might win by one with a last-second field goal. Anything is possible. But you know what I know is that we belong on the same field as them. There's not yep. a question in my mind. And if you don't believe that, and if you're not willing to have the faith that this team, this program, this coach, this staff, these players are going to fight 
and show the fucking grit that they showed in that game, which was astonishing and so admirable that they're not going to show that the rest of the year and make that their new identity going forward for the next decade. Get the hell out of Stop being a fan because I want nothing to do with you. Well said. I mean, this is the most stable and the most elite we've seen this program in my lifetime, probably in your lifetime as well. Absolutely, yeah. Um, we're at this level. We can be at that level. We're going to strive for a playoff game. If we go 11-1, and we're very good chance of getting in. We'd still get a bowl game. If not, um, even a 10-2, and we're looking at a good bowl game. There's a lot to play for. There's a lot Notre Dame can do, and I think we should come away positive after this week. And I think after next week, after the game, the Virginia game, I think we'll feel really good. I also would like to get out there that the neutral site point is very um, intriguing because I believe that people are going to want to see a Notre Dame-Georgia rematch on a neutral site game because people, and I think in the committee, will say, I don't know if Georgia wins that if they're not at home. So let's go. You know what I mean? We can get this. I think the committee is going to look for us. I think we can beat those teams anywhere. Um, and especially in a neutral site game. So we have a lot to play for. The committee's looking for us. And you know what? If we get Georgia in a semifinal or in a final, we're going to make up for what happened in 2017 at South Bend because we all know to, we all know when Notre Dame goes to a bowl game or when Notre Dame goes to the playoff, it's 70% Irish. We'll slap them around in the stands. So let's go. Let's get hyped. We got lots to play for. Don't get down. Drink whiskey. Have a, have a one-day <laughs> pity party but we're going again because we are the fighting Irish. Well said, my friend. Everyone, um, tweet us. Any feedback is appreciated. Last thing I got to say is uh, it's not make Notre Dame great again. It's Notre Dame is great. Let's go, baby. Absolutely. Horseman Pod on Twitter. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Go Irish. Instagram coming soon.